what's going on. Thank you so much for listening to Relatively Sane. Oh, that voice is so annoying, but we all know someone that talks like that. Can I just tell you I cannot stop eating gummy candies? I know a lot of you that are listening to this love gummy Gammy, gammy candle, uh, gammy candies. I love gammy candies. I love me some gammy candies. You know, all the different colors. I just annoyed myself. Oh, God, life is so complicated. But really, I can't stop eating these gummy candies. They're so good. The gummy bears, the sour patch dolls, whatever the fuck they're called, the... Um, the gummy strings, those sour strings. I've even been eating those. Like, what What am I doing? What am I doing? I am a middle-aged woman. I hate saying that, but it's true. I have the mind of a four-year-old and the body of an 87-year-old. It's all fucked up. It's crazy. I keep eating them, and I think what I like about them the most, seriously, is that they're so chewy And they're very good for people that are angry because I get out all my aggression on these gummy candies. I just chew them and like my teeth are going to fall out. It actually might be really good if I go on stage with no teeth because people might find that funny and they'll also feel bad for me. I think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to knock out all my teeth and see if that works. The other thing that's been happening, which I don't think is because of the gummy candies, I'm constipated. I'm going to be honest. Let's talk about it. I mean, we all poop. And I went like four days without pooping and I was taking a stool softener. I was taking a fiber drink and nothing worked. And then my doctor, this is so disgusting, but boy, did it work. He told me to take prune juice with milk of magnesia in it. It was the most disgusting thing I've ever had in my life. Like, I can't even tell you. It was a warm fruit juice, thick, with a minty, creamy, oh my God, it was so bad. But when I woke up in the morning, it was like 4th of July. I mean, I, I literally almost had to call the bomb squad. It was unbelievable what happened. And I just... I don't know. I need to start eating healthy again. I mean, it's so hard during COVID. I can't stop. And I need to start eating more vegetables and fruit. I need to give up sugar. I just feel so confused. You know, I want to give it up, but it's also, it's so comforting. It makes me feel like my mother was around when I was younger. I need to stop. I need to stop talking about that because it was so long ago and I need to just get over it. But really, I've tried to replace my mother's love with gummy candies and lollipops and loaves of bread. And it's not going to work. I have to just deal with it. I'm also annoyed because I have a friend every time I'm like, how are you? She's like, I'm really good. I'm really good. Like things are really good. When people say that, they're mentally ill. I mean, I'm mentally ill, and I'm not putting down anyone who's mentally ill, but there's something seriously off, and they need to check themselves into a hospital. Because if you're really good right now, I don't know what's going on. Like, you're, I guess you're taking drugs, but you're not taking too much, because when I take drugs and I take too many, things are not really good at all. Like, I end up, you know... I could do anything. I love drugs so much, but they're, so, I, I, they're evil for me. I really, really wish I could do drugs. If, if I find, I t- I've said this before, but if I find out that I'm dying and I have like a week left, I'm saying goodbye to my family, everyone, and I'm trying crystal meth, heroin. What else have I never tried? Acid, um, crystal meth, heroin, crack. I've never tried crack. Uh, so just know that if you find out that I'm dying, please send me care packages of all those drugs or just deliver them to my house. Oh my God, I'm not even going to fit into my house soon if I keep this up. Oh, I hope you guys are laughing. I love you all so much. I don't even know a lot of you and I love you because you're listening to the podcast and you're supporting me. 
Thank you so much for listening. I'm so excited for you to hear this week's episode. You guys are the best. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Relatively Sane. I am so excited for my guest today. He's one of my favorite people, and I don't have a lot of favorite people, but he is. He's a great, he's hysterical, and I'm so glad to have him. Please welcome Steve Byrne. Jessica Kirsten, it's so good to be with you. Thank you so much. Oh, my God, Steve, I've wanted you on this for so long, but like so much has happened. <laughs> yeah, there, there was <laughs> I've been going back and forth with Brandon and I'm like, oh, my God, it's actually happening today. I'm, I'm really going to do this. There's no cataclysmic event other than <laughs> quarantine and everything else that, that's come in. But, yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Me too. And you have so much going on. Like, I want people to know. I want them to follow you. I want them to listen to you. I want to give you props because I do this with people I like. I don't always do this. But oh, well, thank you. You work your ass off and have since the day I met you, which was, believe it or not, I think we met 20 years ago. That's and very true. Probably 22. You, yep. And you commit on stage, which is not common. Um, I, I, <laughs> hold on. Hold on. I commit on stage. I, I've not seen anybody commit more than you. <laughs> <There's>, oh. <laughs> like, if you think I'm committed, I'm the mozzarella sticks to your T-bone tomahawk, okay? <laughs> you are one of the most committed comics I've ever seen. It's unbelievable. Well, thank you. It's because I'm I'm riddled with sadness and need attention. <laughs> but you give your all. And you are absolutely brilliant and do characters. And I love that you get dressed up in a suit. Like, you look better than any comic that performs. What made you start doing that? You know, I, the minute I started headlining, I thought people are going to dinner. They got a babysitter. They're spending money to come see a show. I, Or they might be coming to my show. Sometimes people just, let's go see comedy. So I just thought... You know, I, I should dress like a professional if I want to be portrayed as a, be seen as a professional. And I saw around the same time I saw Don Rickles perform in Vegas and he had the tuxedo and he had the big band. And I thought, boy, that looks sharp. And black and white will be timeless. You'll always look good in black and white because um, I watch old old. Uh, I have all the DVDs of the Dean Martin show, his variety show. And he looks great in a tuxedo. It, it looks timeless. So I thought I'll always wear black and white on stage and. It's it's a way of just saying I respect you. Thanks for coming out tonight. I mean, that's a professional. Like, uh, you know, some people go up in like ripped shirts and, and <laughs> yeah, hospital pants. I think that's what everyone's going to start performing in <laughs> hospital uh, pants because they're coming out of yeah. mental institutions. I think they just go straight from the airport, whatever sleepover they had at the airport, <laughs> to the comedy club. It's unbelievable. I've never seen so many sleeper slippers and pajamas and pillows. Just like people go to the airport <laughs> like that. It, it's crazy. You know, somebody was dressed all day in normal clothes and then it's like, oh, I, I'm going to fly. So I'm going to go home and change into my PJs and then go to JFK. It's like, you fucking slob. Get it together. God I'm going to do damn. it as. Yeah, I'm going to do it as an experiment. I'm going to go in a onesie and just bring my teddy bear <laughs> and just drool into a cup. That's what I'm going to do. Well, it wouldn't be far off from some of the things you're already doing on an airplane next to people. So I, it, obviously <laughs> it's the evolution of it. I, how, how have you been? Like, are you, you seem like you're functioning pretty well in this disaster. I, I, I got to tell you, this may be one of the best things that's happened to me because I was getting so burnt down on the road. I, I hate everything about stand-up comedy except for the stand-up comedy. In other words, I hate flying. Yeah. I hate the airports. I hate the hotels. I hate the limo, sir. I hate it all. But the hour is great. And also, much like yourself, I have an eight-year-old, and then I have a five-year-old boy. My eight-year-old is at the point where she was like, she's getting to the point where she's like, daddy's going. Dad, don't go. Why do you always have to go? And she'd cry. And the yeah. last time before the pandemic hit, I was in my car. I was backing on the driveway, and I saw her in the bay window, hysterically crying, waving to Aww. me. And every fiber of me wanted to throw the car in park run up there and go, I'm not leaving. And then flash forward, the very next week I come home, pandemic hits, we're all quarantined, we're stuck at home. And the first few months I was like, this is great. I love this. I'm with my family. I don't have to go anywhere. And we're all in the same boat here. Six months into it, I'm like, 
what fountain did you throw a goddamn quarter in to say, <laughs> I want my daddy home? And you ripple, you ruin the world's economy. You're ruining small businesses. So we got to, we got to drain that fountain and find that quarter and melt it or something. Cause everything's my daughter's fault. It's all her fault. How are you dealing with it? How are you? I know it's this? a lot. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, what happened was I got very depressed and mm-hmm. I was like, just got back into old patterns. And I realized, you know what, this is the time I really could use to work on myself. And I did. Like, I'm doing a lot of work on myself. And I I feel good. Um, Good, good. I feel better. I had never been depressed like that. Like, I've always had anxiety, like this anxiety my whole life. But I never, ever, thank God, felt really depressed until this happened. It was like... Oh my God! Losing all the all the shows, all the bookings I had, um, yeah. being home all the time, as you know, because we're always on the road. Just everything changed, and it was overwhelming. Because your hour had just come out prior to, and usually yeah. when an hour comes out, you have to have that permeation period where, yeah, it was just released, but there's going to be still six to eight months where people are going to discover it and learn about you. And then you hit the road and you, and then you have a better draw. And even one of my friends, um, maybe like two months ago, she texted me and she said, have you heard of Jessica Kirsten? She is fucking insane. And I was, it was one of those things where I was so happy that one of my friends who's not the biggest comedy fan had heard about you and, and watched, I said, I think something you had done on Amazon is where she found you. And she was just really happy. And, and I was like, you have no idea. <laughs> you got to see her live. I mean, if you just saw it on, I always equate stand up on TV to the 4th of July fireworks on TV. It's like, it looks cool, but it's definitely just not the same. And you're one of those live performers. I would say you'd have to see live like Jezelnik, you could see on TV or in the club. And he's just a great, a great joke teller, right? Yeah. Really crafts a joke well. But then there's others that do that and perform and like mm-hmm. somebody like you or Sebastian or even like Bert Kreischer, I mean, three very different styles, but mm-hmm. I, I just mean in terms of the performer, you've got to see live. There's just a, something about the live experience and not to toot your horn a little too loud, but when I did that Montreal festival with you, we did the ethnic show and there were a lot of talented comics on that. And the first day I showed up there, I looked at the lineup and I saw Jessica Kirsten closing. I was like, oh, that's cool. Good for her. That'll be fun. And it was one of those things where I go to the basement. I was talking to Alonzo Bowden, who was the host, and I heard laughter and like trembling. And I thought, I thought, it, did somebody pull the fire alarm? Because there's like a lot going on upstairs. <laughs> and I ran upstairs and you were just killing, killing. And I thought there was like, I hadn't heard noise like that, I guess, in that, in that space. And again, it's a testament to the performance that you give. I, and, and before we're talking about commitment, where you just a hundred percent commit, yeah. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. And you're one of the few comics I watch where I forget I'm a comedian and I get to watch you as a civilian. I turn off that part of my brain. I go, I just become a person in the comedy club enjoying the comedian on stage. And there's very few people I have that with, but I, I, I wanted to share that with you. I meant to say that because what you- I, I meant to say it when, when I was t- talking to Brandon about finally doing this, you know? I know. And you know what? I feel the same way about you because you're so physical and you're so committed. Like I, I laugh harder at like people like you, like Brewer, like people who are physical on stage. I need to be entertained because when I just have to sit and listen to jokes, I get in my head. Like I don't, I, I can't, can't I, I want to be, I want a show and you give a show. Yeah. I, I love that. You know, I really do. What made you get into comedy? You know, I finished school in Ohio and my my father grew up in Brooklyn and moved back to New York with a job. And I asked my father and mother after college, could I crash on your couch and experience New York City? I've always heard your your stories, Dad. And he said, of course. So the first day I got there, I said, I'm not coming home till I get a job. I started in 86 in Broadway and ping pong my way down Broadway. I stopped at 50th on Broadway, walked into a venue gave a guy my resume. He happened to be the manager. He said, what do you want to do? I said, I will do anything. I just want to work. He said, come back tomorrow. That place was Caroline's Comedy Club. I had never been in a comedy club until I went there. And so who knows? I mean, if I walked into a x-ray technician's office and they hired me, maybe I'd be an x-ray technician. But (laughs) 
that's how it all chewed out for me. And I started watching all these young comics and started doing those new talent showcases with Andy Engel and especially the one Karen Bergreen ran at Gotham. And that's where I met you Yes, at Gotham doing those uh, doing those bringer shows or, or the early ones. And you would always go towards the towards the end to kind of close them out. Yeah. And just so people know, you have to when you're starting out in New York, one of the things you have to do is bring people to get stage time. So you have to beg your aunt and your uncle and like (laughs) just beg your friend. And most of them never spoke to me again after I asked them 468 times. That's right, because they got to sit through (laughs) two hours of garbage comedy until you're finally up. And it's so weird because it's all bringers. But no matter how many people you bring and how, how, how many times you do those shows, for some reason, you always end up last. I don't know how, but <laughs> well, like... because you know why? Well, first of all, because we're both strong comics. And also, you if you bring more people, you go on towards the last part of the show because they uh, want yeah, the yeah, audience yeah. to stay. So yeah. they're being tortured. Sure. You're getting all these people to come and they're watching <laughs> comic after... And some are just homeless people. They just go up there like, hey, 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 <laughs> right. I need cardboard, you know? it's They're not even comedians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, those... Those uh, those bringer shows were death. And um, I remember my parents because I moved to New York City. I didn't know anybody. So my parents were my two paying customers. Every bringer <laughs> show I did for six months. My God. And they were burnt out after like six months. Like, no more. We can't do it. You, you do the same five minutes. I was like, it's all I got. <laughs> Yeah, it's really it's it's such a weird thing to start out in comedy. I don't know. There's no one. No one's going to start out now. I mean, I don't know where they're going to. Oh God, no. Yeah, I, it's going to be survival of the fittest. Thank God we both have a career. One thing I I want to say about you also. I was thinking about this a lot. You're you're a worker and a go getter, and you make things happen. I mean, I, I I am the same way. Like if nothing's happening, I'll create something, and it's a sure. gift because. So many comics don't have that, and they only depend on stand-up, and that's a problem. So yeah, you have done these amazing projects. I mean, one of them is you did a documentary, Always Amazing. It's on YouTube about the amazing Jonathan. I, how did that, I never asked you, how did you end up doing that? You know, I had... Um... I, I, I love documentaries. I love watching documentaries. If I have a choice to watch anything, it would be a doc because I like learning about things, whether it's a, someone's career or, you know, uh, the economy or whatever it might be, um, if, it's, if it's done well. And so I've just been a big fan of the art form. And The Amazing Jonathan was the second guy I ever featured for. The first was Brian Regan. And I only remember that because it was back to back at Charlie Goodnights. And I drove from New York to do it. And so Jonathan and I got along really well. And his assistant, Joel Osborne, and I got along really well because he was my age. We liked Oasis. We were trading bootlegs. And we always kept in touch. Every time I went to L.A., I meet up with them. When I go to Vegas and Jonathan was headlining, I'd meet up with them. And then when he was given the terminal diagnosis with cardiomyopathy, I felt horrible. But then years later, he outlived the expectations and said, I'm going to make a return to stage. Mm -hmm. And instantly, I saw the documentary unfold in front of me. Jonathan's the face of it. Joel is the heart of the film because Jonathan took Joel under his wing at 12 years old. Joel Osborne would go see his shows. And at 13, he'd be at the backstage, you know, getting an autograph. At 14, Jonathan's like, this kid keeps coming. I can't shake him. (laughs) So finally, at 18 years old, he hires him to be his assistant. You got an 18-year-old kid leaving another continent to come to Las Vegas and be in charge of a drug addict in Las Vegas. A kid. And so... This fraternal relationship started between two people that on paper should never be friends. And Jonathan, you know, Joel saw Jonathan through a nasty divorce, a suicide attempt, drug addiction, got Jonathan back on track. Joel goes, okay, you're good. Joel goes back to Australia. He becomes a comedian. Jonathan gets, does well. He gets remarried. And then he gets this terminal diagnosis outlives expectations, I'm gonna come back to stage, and then Joel comes from Australia to open for him. So the whole film kind of came full circle. I was like, that's that's the story. And I pitched it to Jonathan, he said, let's do it. I went and did it, and um, it's on YouTube, it's for free. I teamed up with a very good mutual friend we have, Bill Burr, and put yes. it out on All Things Comedy, and it's closing in on a million views in a year. So we're really happy Oh, with it. that's so great. What an incredible story. It's a beautiful story. 
It's a real, it really is. It, it's something that, and knowing how, how crazy Jonathan is, um, it's a relationship in his life he shouldn't have, but for some reason or another, he did. He was fraternal. And that's, that's really been the foundation and core of love in Jonathan's life is Joel and, and vice versa, because Joel had a father who left um, him at a young age. So Joel got a father figure out of it and a mentor. What a great, see, you're like, I love that, that you saw it and thought, I want to make a documentary about this. That's what I mean. And most people wouldn't yeah. take the risk of doing it. Like most people wouldn't go ahead and do it, whereas you did it. Well, you know, here's the crazy thing. If I didn't do it, I don't know that I would have gotten to direct the opening act because I had the experience of doing the doc. It certainly helped set the table a bit more to the financiers to say, well, at least he's done something you can watch and it's mm -hmm. doing well. So that set the table. And again, you're right. If I didn't do it, I, I probably would have just been a writer on this film and that's it. So yeah. I, I think, yeah, you should give yourself the opportunity to try those things and, and fail or succeed. But either way, you're going to learn from it. Right. And you have to take risks. I mean, I say this all the time. People are petrified of taking risks. And especially in mm -hmm. the entertainment business, you have to. Because if you wait yep. for people to do it for you, you're in trouble. So it's... Well, I think you and I are very similar because we're grinders. You and I have mm. fought tooth and nail for everything. And so when I saw that, that um, ATC, along with Bill Burr, was backing you for an hour special, it's like, of course this is how it happened. Of course this is how it happened. Yeah. Because the tastemakers will never anoint the, like someone gifted like you, right? They, mm -hmm. they will go, no, well, who's the, who's the cool chick? Who's the, who's the one that, that gets right. it? That's so or the safe all, like, one. The safe yeah. one. Yeah. And then, and then you have a powerhouse like yourself, and it's, it's someone like Bill Burr who's so established and maybe the comic of this generation to go, are you guys fucking fist-fucking me? Look at what she does on stage. Yeah. She gets one. I'm calling it. I'm making it. And lo and behold, it's fucking killer. And your fan yeah. base explodes. And it's like the comics, of course, are like, yeah, of course. Of course we saw that, but the industry is like, oh, who is she? What's going on? It's like, you dipshit. She's been right out of your nose in New York City the whole time. Well, it's funny because on Comedy Central, like they, you know, I had done Premium Blend like you did years ago. I remember yep. when you did it. And and then I like always had a hard time getting on stuff on there. And then Bill said, she's the best. I want to produce her special. And then they were up my ass. They're like, we love you. We love you. You're the I'm like, where have you been? What are yeah. you talking about? You have not put me in one thing. I've had to watch all these people get all this shit. And now yeah. you're you're a huge fan. Like, it's just so at least admit it. Like, we didn't we didn't get you. And now we do or just something. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, when you when you grind like yourself, like myself, like Bert Kreischer, when you finally get when that that slight accolade you've been looking for for years, the whiskey tastes a lot better at the after party when you got some dirt underneath your fingernails. And I, mm -hmm. I truly believe that. I think when you really earn it, when you fight tooth and nail for it, it just feels better. It just does. Yeah, I totally agree. It does. And I'm ready for it. Like, I don't know if I'd yeah. be as ready years ago. I'm kind of happy it didn't happen when I was 30 because I was immature. Yeah, but then you're also fighting to keep the relevance. You're fighting to keep it. And you and I, look, we're all stocks. We go up and we go down, but the mm -hmm. clubs will always have us and we, we're established enough. But I mean, imagine peaking at 30. I'd be fucking miserable going into my Me 40s too. and 50s. But, but now to have that background of, of 23 years uh, of, of, of my resume to go, okay, now, it's, now we're starting to build towards something. This is kind of fun. So I, 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 I like the trajectory. I, I, I'm glad I didn't peak early because I know and a lot of those people, you do too, and they're not happy. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And also you yeah. have a family and a wife, like you have grounding. You have a base at home, which is huge. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, having the kids, having the wife, it, it, it shifted everything. I was so selfish before and very self-serving, and even in past relationships. I was never like an asshole, but I was just... I was just a little more invested in my career than anybody else in the world. And having a mm -hmm. wife change that and then certainly having children completely made me recalibrate my thinking and what's truly important at the end of the day, because it'd be great to get a meeting with ABC or it'd be great to walk the red carpet and have your pictures. But at the end of the day, it's like, I'd rather 
have my kid take off on a bike and see him pedal for the first time mm -hmm. and that that there's just a different feeling of accomplishment in that and i that's something i've come to appreciate just as much if not more i totally agree with you thank you so much to all of my patreon members for supporting the podcast all right hold up could you take a little off off the peas you're hitting them too hard the not action Thank you so much to all of my Patreon members for supporting the podcast. Hold on, now you're whispering Patreon. Is there a reason oh. you're whispering? Well, you said to take the put Somewhere like, in the middle. Okay, okay. Ready? Action. Thank you so much to all of my Patreon members. Now you got to pause. For those of you who don't know, Patreon members, is that okay? <laughs> it was perfect, why'd you stop? Oh, okay. Patreon members. Cut. Let's go back to the beginning. Thank you and so much. And action. Thank you so much to all my Patreon members for supporting the podcast. For those of you who don't know, Patreon members get early access to the podcast, ad-free episodes, and access to monthly live streams where we talk more about... All right, let's take it back to the beginning. That was perfect. Do it exactly like that. I just did it well, though, Except but why are you starting over? Thank you so much to all of my patron... Cut. Why are you screaming? Because I'm just trying to get through this. Action. Thank you so much to all of Action. my... Thank you so much to all of my Patreon members. For those of you who don't know, Patreon members get early access to the podcast. Perfect. Keep going. There's so many P's. Keep going. Keep going. Ad-free episodes. You could cut this out, right? For those of you who don't know, Patreon members get early access to the podcast, ad-free episodes, and access to monthly live streams where we talk more about being relatively sane. Hold up. Did we agree on monthly live streams? Yes, you told me I should do them because it'll get more members. I don't know how to do a monthly live stream. Don't you just talk in your phone? Uh, we'll figure it out. Come on, let's get through this. We have to go. We should okay. speed this up. All right. Thank you so much to all my Patreon members for supporting this podcast. For those of you who don't know, Patreon members get early access to the podcast, ad-free episodes, and access to monthly live streams. We don't know what that is, but whatever. Where we talk about being relatively sane. If you want to join our fantastic community that is so corny, go to patreon.com slash Jessica Curson. That's patriot.com slash Jessica Curson. That's patreon. I think you said patriot.com. Go to petroleum. I mean, patreon.com slash Jessica Curson. That's patreon.com slash Jessica Curson. Patreon.com slash Jessica Curson. Thanks again. And cut. That's a wrap. Ugh. Totally agree. I didn't know that would affect me the way it has, but. Yeah, it how really, does it affect really you has. as a parent? Because we're in the same boat and uh, around the same ages uh, with, 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 with your daughter. Um, how, did it, how did it recalibrate you? Well, I was always afraid to have kids because I didn't want to damage them like I stuff that I went through. And I also right, yeah, of course. always had this fear that I would get so close to them and be in love with them and something would happen to one of them. Like I have some of that stuff, that abandonment and fear and all that other shit. Um, sure. And then, you know, I now have four daughters <laughs> and it's it's heaven. Yeah. It's heaven for me. I, I, I feel like I have that grounding. I have that base. I love them more than anything. There's no show or anything I've ever done in my life. Exactly what you just said that is the same as my one of my daughters saying, I love you, mama, or you know, giving me a hug. It just fills yeah. that hole that nothing else ever did. And I've been able to recreate a lot of stuff with my kids doing the opposite of what my parents did. And that's very rewarding. It's Yeah, I, I remember talking to somebody who just had a child and they said, well, what's it like? And I said, well, you're going to hear a thousand things from a thousand different parents. But I'll tell you, this is my perspective. I feel like now when I look at myself in the mirror, I'm not looking at a reflection. I feel like I'm on the other side of the mirror looking at myself. Like yeah. I have a different way of seeing things because obviously you go to Disneyland you're seeing it through your child's eyes around the holidays. It's not, it's not Christmas for me. It's like I've seen Christmas through their eyes. You're trying to give them the best experience. But I just have you just. I just feel like I'm on the other side of the mirror now, looking at myself because I'm holding myself accountable. I'm trying to be the best version of myself, and I'm seeing mm -hmm. myself differently. Is what I'm trying to communicate to uh, to that new parent. So I, I don't know how you feel, but that, that was always my kind of analogous way of looking at it. No, I totally agree with you, and I am mm -hmm. committed to my kids, and it helps me work on myself more and just become a better person 
you know, I, I, I want to be the best parent I can be. And it's just, yeah. it's so, it's just so incredibly rewarding. It really, do you ever take them on the road with you? I have taken them on the road with me. Uh, they're actually on the road with me now as I'm in Los Angeles doing press. Um, and they've come out on stage and introduced me. Um, so Aww. it's it's been very helpful because they they introduced me and then my daughter had a talent show. And she was like, Dad, I'm so nervous to get up and sing with my friends. I go, Libby, you tell me one other kid that's in your class that's gotten up in front of 450 people in Irvine on stage and made them laugh introducing their father she goes none i go that's right because you did it and you did it Aww. in irvine you did it in san jose she goes yeah i did go on stage before that's right and then you could see the tailwinds coming into her psyche and she was excited <laughs> to go up and then all of a sudden it's like oh jesus i created a monster it's I like <laughs> I was it just was like the spotlights that. here it's like put the mic down i'm not done baby it's like yeah, shut she- up and don't ask me for headshots yeah, yeah, she'd be like, "Hello, Father." I'm re- like, everything's going to be a performance now. Yeah, exactly. It's so cute. crazy. How about you? Do you do you bring any of the kids with you on the road? I have. I mean, it's difficult because uh, n- now it's easier with my 14 year old Zoe. Um, she's an actress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she um, goes to a high school for performing art. She's amazing, and. Uh, mm-hmm. And she came on stage with me when she was younger and would just stand next to me. It was hilarious. Or just sit on the floor at Gotham and just like play with something while I was performing. (laughs) Um, Oh, that's fucking hilarious. I I know. It's great. She got the bug, unfortunately. I mean, it's, Uh I don't, I believe in her and I think she's a star, of course, but, but it's, it's a tough business as, as we both know. Um, but I'm, you know, I, I love having them with me. And I think once yep. they get older, the young ones, it'll, it'll be great to go out. Like you watch Gaffigan with all these kids behind them. It's the craziest thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good because I think when I grew up in Pittsburgh, I grew up in such a small, isolated community that when I moved to New York City for the first time, I was like, wow, look at how huge this city is. Look at how big the world is and the opportunities, et cetera. So I told my wife early on, I was like, the kids will come with me and you will come with me when you can, because I don't want our kids growing up in junior high school and high school, those formative years thinking life is so impactful inside the bricks of that high school, because they're going to yeah. think, oh my God, everybody sees me with acne. It's like the world is so much bigger than those 800 kids that you go to school with. So mm-hmm. I always want them to have the confidence that the world is bigger than that moment. The world is bigger than that embarrassment. Not everybody knows it. Not everybody knows your victories either. So always keep in mind, the world is yours. It's vast. And always, I I hope to instill in them some optimism with that too. So we'll see. I love that. I love telling them that the world is big and vast and they can do anything they want. Mm -hmm. Because so many people are sheltered and hold it in. And, you know, it's my whole thing about people need to be more silly and just live life and do you know do spur the moment stuff and it just i've noticed more and more that people are very uptight not a you know like not everyone but a lot of people are and it just is so beautiful to see people let go and just really live life well i'll tell you you do it all the time that's why i you know you scroll through your social media and yeah you see some people trying to be cool it's like there's some comedians that we know where they're setting up photo shoots every day. It's like, what the I fuck? Know. How, how, how is that funny? And then I you know. see you, like Rich Aronovich, where yeah, I'm like, he's... Rich is, <laughs> I mean, some of the things he does, he kills it me. makes me laugh. He absolutely makes me of laugh. Course, he's one of course, because it's ridiculous. I love. Yeah. Yeah. He's out of his mind. Yeah. And and, and one of the nicest, sweetest guys you'll meet too. Well, he- He's my brother. I mean, I'm, I'm so close with him. He's he's the he is such an incredible friend. He really is. I mean, he always checks yeah. up on me. He's selfless. He, he he's amazing. And it's like I know there there are these all these female comics where they're showing like their ass and all this stuff, and I'm like, that's great. But like, does your ass tell jokes? I'm I'm very confused. <laughs> like, Hello, welcome. Like, what is happening? Why is why do yeah, I see? It's like. Based on your pictures, just stand on a soapbox, turn around, pull your pants down, let guys stare your ass for 45 minutes, and that's your check drop, and get the fuck out of there. Make us laugh. God damn, no one wants to see it. 
It's getting even worse. I feel like they need to bend over and like show what's inside. It's getting pretty. <laughs> it's getting extreme. It's not just the ass crack. It's like yeah. I saw I saw someone had a polyp and I was like <laughs> oh, yeah. oh my god. So I sent her a message on Instagram. I'm like, "Great picture, but you have a polyp just to let you know." <laughs> so funny. My innards got 50 likes. Okay. <laughs> just tell a joke. <laughs> my hole got 76 comments. <laughs> what? My hole. My hole. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you know it's like Sherrod is liking all those all, oh yeah liking, all these guys are like yeah someone's like have you seen the picture of my labia it got so many likes <laughs> <laughs> oh my god tell going from labia to your movie this is a perfect <laughs> segue <laughs> yeah <laughs> I want to hear about the opening act. I, I want to hear all about it. <laughs> yeah, well, um, there's no labias. There's no, there's oh, no girls it. pulling out of pants. Um, when, when my show got canceled, basically, my phone was never ringing when I had my show. And yeah, when wait, the show tell got everyone canceled, about like, the show. Tell, I, just, I need you to tell them about the show, too, because that's you. I had Sullivan and Son. It was on TBS for three seasons. And did really well, did some great ratings, but it was one of those things where a new president comes in, so it gets canceled. And I just thought, once oh. again, with this industry, nothing's ever gonna happen. I'll never work unless I write something. So it's mm -hmm. back on the road. And I was just like, what's the one thing I'd wanna see? What's the one, th what's the one story I can tell really well? I just thought I've never seen a truly great film that solely focuses on stand-up, just stand-up, no relationship, no, just about stand-up and what it takes. So I, as I was watching some other things, I, I was like, I don't want to watch, I don't want to watch a film about a 50 year old driving home from Vegas. I want to watch a film about a 20 year old driving to Vegas for the first time. Mm -hmm. So I thought, go fish out of water, go back to those blind, optimistic, romantic years of being an MC when you would do it for nothing and write about that. So that's what I did. I wrote a film about a kid's very first time ever going on the road and all the trials and tribulations you deal with in terms of being on the road from hecklers to bachelorette parties to radio for the first time to the to uh you know pleasing hopefully the the club manager so you can get booked again the dynamic between mc feature and headliner and those three echelons professionally speaking and so i wrote it i got to direct it we did it it's coming out friday and i think it is the best representation of what we do because everybody out there has been to a comedy show not many people have been on the road and this film fulfills the promise of explaining to people how fucking difficult it is and how much failure is associated with our industry because you're constantly failing and learning especially early on to build upon mm -hmm. to become better so i think we 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 pulled it off i think we we did the best film about stand-up how long did it take you to film it did it take a long time Whew. 19 days to film it um, wow we were doing 10 to 12 pages a day which the norm is six to seven i mean you've i know been on sets. yeah it, it was we were running and gunning because we had you know two and a half million and 19 days and we had this you know these sets for a limited amount of time and i had to make my day every single day so i was it was nerve-wracking and that's why i'm not in the film because i was just so scared of <laughs> trying to make sure everything else is taken care of and right. situated but right. Got very lucky with a great cast and crew. Jimmy O. Yang was fantastic as the lead. And again, made my life so much easier because he showed up prepared, knew his lines, cared, and was a great conduit and great presence on, on set, along with Alex Moffat and Cedric the Entertainer, the, the MC feature and headliner. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, pretty wild. And it was it was nice to have, like, you know, the poster came out and I was, I, I told them, I was like, if we have a poster, we should show everybody that's in it. So you got Whitney Cummings, Eliza Schlesinger, Kathleen Madigan, Angela Johnson, Bill Burr, Ken Jung, Russell Peters, Tom Segura, Neil Brennan, Roy Wood Jr., Alonzo Bowden, and so many LA-based comics that I could just call at the spur of the moment to come down. And all the comics knew the roles. It was great. Like when Russell, Eliza, and Brooks had to do the radio scene, I didn't have to go, okay, so you're actors, you've never done morning radio. Let me tell you what it's like. They mm -hmm. it was like, 
you guys know the deal, right? They go, yeah. I go, all right, let's just try it. And we just did it. And it was fucking great. It was, it was blissful. It was so fun. I can't believe who's in it. I mean, that's a huge cast. I can't believe who's in it. And I, I worked on it, <laughs> but it was, it was like, you know, you're sitting around, you're like, all right, we got to cast a, a kind of like a skanky cop. I was like, oh, Segura would be a skanky cop. Hey, Tom, can you play a skanky cop? He's like, yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> so it was just and a where lot is of fun it in that out? regard. What is it coming out on? Well, it'll come out in select theaters on the 16th. So if you live in a red state, basically, I guess you can go to the movie theater. <laughs> but for everybody else that maybe cares about their health, um, you could do it. <laughs> Amazon, iTunes, any streaming VOD platform, you can get it from there. And um, I'm telling you, I think these days people want to laugh. There have been so few comedies that come out during COVID. And on top of that, there's a lot of people that want to go to comedy clubs. And I think this fulfills... You know, you get two birds with one stone in this thing. Yeah, I'm, I can't wait to see it. Like, I, it, it sounds incredible. What was the hardest part of directing? Did you Was that challenging at all for you? Very challenging. I know your cousin or brother-in-law. Cousin, Step-brother. Brother. Step-brother. Step-brother. Sorry about that. Yeah. I, I, I went no, over to No, everyone thinks um, that. Yeah, everyone. Yeah. yeah. But your stepbrother, obviously, he's done it. Uh, I'm sure you're privy and heard stories about that. Um, yeah. I... I found the most challenging part was what was, was knowing that everything within the frame of the film is my responsibility and it communicates yeah. something. And so there was a scene where Will is talking to his girlfriend and we made her bedroom look like a four seasons. And so given the situation where he just bombed, he, <laughs> you know, he's like an Asian guy dating this, you know, Hollywood 10, it started to trigger this thing where people are like, why is she with this guy? When you look at her, she's so successful and gorgeous. And he just bobbed on stage. He's in flannel shirt. And it was one of those things where had I paid more attention to the aesthetic of what we're communicating, they might not have subconsciously put that in their heads. And wow, it, was one of those things. it was a great lesson for me. Really, really good lesson for me. Yeah. Did you learn, like, do you know all about camera? I mean, I don't mean to sound like an idiot, but I am with that stuff. Um, I, I, I've produced and I've acted and I've written and I've, you know, performed, but I haven't directed yet. Um, and did you, do you know all about the cameras and everything? Like, how did you learn that? I couldn't tell you anything about the lenses. I, I knew certain shots that I wanted to do. For example, when we were the first half of the film is Dorothy in Kansas, right? And once he gets in his car and goes on the road, now we're off off into the Wizard of Oz. We're off to see the wizard, right? So mm -hmm. I knew at the beginning in the first act, I wanted static static camera shots. So keep the cameras on sticks and you know, make the office, for example, look a little more drone. When we were doing audio, I said, let's get that slight hum of the fluorescent in there. So wow. it always is kind of this monotone buzz. And then once we get on the road, I said, I want a lot more handheld because I wanted to feel like a documentary, like you're on oh. the road with this kid. So when you're in the green room, mm -hmm. you know, the cameras, it's a, it's a little mobile. And I wanted people to feel like they're experiencing radio with him. So a lot of handheld stuff. I, I don't know a lot of things, but my director of photography, Eric Edwards, God bless him. He worked with Gus Van Zandt, mm -hmm. Judd Apatow. He's done a lot of big films. And I think he did this as a favor to Vince Vaughn. But once he and I met, we got along like that and he was a blessing and so fun to work with. And I learned so much from him. And I think he and I would just sit down. What do you want to communicate here? Okay. This is what I like to communicate. And we'd walk through different kinds of shots. So I think it, it really is dependent on your DP, but in terms of lighting and measuring the lights and different lenses, long lenses, all that, I don't know. I don't know jack shit about that. Yeah. I don't and I'll either. Tell you the first thing, the first thing I said to the crew on the very first day, I knew I was very nervous. And I told them, I go, look, I don't know everything about production design, scene design, lighting, or the cameras. So I'm going to lean on you a little more than most. And I hope you're patient with me, but I can assure you, I know everything about this story. So if you're just a little more patient with me, I promise you we're going to do a great film about stand-up comedy. I think that bought me a lot of credit in just eating some humble pie in front of them and stating the obvious, you know? So yeah. I think that yeah. went a long way. Well, that's huge when you don't have a lot of ego and when you're humble and when you're kind and, and you communicate well. I, I, you can't lose with those characteristics. I hope not. I learned a lot from Sullivan and Son because I was the lead on that. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, even like I was behind the bar all the time, 
I'd hear a great line and I knew it was a great line. I'd be like, give that to Christine or give that to Brian Doyle Murray because they'll knock it out of the park. And they're like, you sure? I'm like, I'm always behind the bar, you know? So I'm, I'm in everything. I, I, I'm fine. And I think that when you're responsible for a cast of 10, which we were, and I was the conduit between the stage and the writer's room because I was doing both. Billy Gardell pulled me aside and told me the fish swims from the head. And he was basically telling me everything I do will be symbolic on that stage. So if I yawn on stage or if I bitch that I'm so tired, I want to go home, they're all going to think that too. But I've got to keep it light. I got to keep it fun. I got to keep it moving. And that helped train me for being on the set for this film. And I think we were able to keep the spirits up and goof off and have fun. That's such a good point. I love him dearly. Um, he's incredible. What an amazing person. Well, the the, the uh, character that Cedric plays is named Billy G. And it's named after Billy Gardell because we all have mentors. We, we all learn from even mm -hmm. performing at the cellar. You could learn from Norton, Voss, and, and Geraldo all at the same time, you know, but... Gardell was the one for me that really told me a lot. And there was a line in the film that Cedric says that Billy told me years ago, and it's always stuck in my head like a one-hit wonder. He said to me years ago, when I was younger, I used to think I had to make the audience laugh so that I feel good. Now I know I make the audience laugh so that they feel good. Yep. And that makes this the best job in the world. And I always remember when I was writing it, I put it in. I'm glad that that, that line made the film because it's, it's one of my favorites. That's a great line. It, it, it's yeah. so true. It shifts at a certain point, hopefully, and it's really powerful. It mm -hmm. really is. I, so I, I, now you're all hyped up. This is a very exciting time. You have this movie coming out that you created, that you directed. <laughs> and you know that in about a month you're going to be filled with sadness. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm talking. Right. No, what we're talking. I'm talking. Void will creep right back again. Of course, we're never, we're never happy. Yeah, it'll be something. It'll well, be something on the week. I know when I have something big coming out, I, <laughs> yeah. I am on a high. Like it is like heaven. I'm like, oh yep. my god. Like I feel like I did two pounds of cocaine, <laughs> and then. <laughs> It's it fizzles like it, the movie's out. People are watching it. You get huge acclaim, maybe months, whatever it is, and then you. Sure. But that's see again. I think we're both like this. When that dies down, then I start thinking, what's the next thing? And I create something else. Sure. Yeah. Well, look, you you and I both know it, it's it's tougher now more than ever to stay relevant mm -hmm. because the the Netflix churning out an hour every week makes comedy specials and comedy, I believe less and less relevant and, and less communal as well, because those hour specials back in the day, they were communal. Everybody, mm -hmm. even if you didn't see it, you heard about it or somebody yeah. told you a joke from it because they were so unique, but now they're just everywhere. And it's tougher to, to be able to tour off of that because by the time you hit the road, maybe, you know, six months from your calendar, there's been how many six times four, 24 more hour specials that have come out and you're competing against. Yeah. It's, it's months. insane. You and I talk, what did we talk about months ago or maybe even a year ago about doing on the road together? Remember we talked about something? Was it like, I remember I was in Chicago and I talked to you. I remember exactly where I was when I had that phone call about going on the road with a good group of people and yeah. just hitting the road four headliners rocking and rolling. And then, of course, the world goes to shit. So <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> well, why don't we go on the road and, like, perform at Barnes or something? Where we can... I would I would perform anywhere with you. But I, the, the, the one rule would be that I don't have to close the show because I'm not following <laughs> you. There's, there's, it's not humanly possible. I just came up with a great idea. So no one can steal it if you hear this. It's coming from me huh? on this podcast. I think you and I should hook up with two other people and go in a camper van <laughs> on the road and just literally set up a show in crazy places all over the United I'm States. Down. I'm down. We'll go to outside an abortion clinic. We'll go outside <laughs> synagogue. We'll go. How about we'll go inside? Anywhere. Yeah. We'll go inside. Yeah. Well, our insides could get 50 likes. <laughs> <laughs> My inner. Oh my God. I'm so excited. I showed a picture of my uterus and like, I'm going to actually sell out this weekend. Oh my God. It's painful. So 
I love talking to you. I, I just, you're such a good person, Steve. I mean, you really, you, you have well. it together. You know, I, I, you're just, um, as comics come, you're pretty normal. <laughs> well, that is true. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you really are. And I'm so proud of you. I mean, this is incredible. I cannot wait to see the movie. It's called The Opening Act. It opens up uh, this weekend. It's it's so exciting. Where are you doing the opening? What are you doing opening night? Well, you know, we had, you know, I I think you might appreciate this more than most. Um, When the film got greenlit and I finished production going into going to post-production, I had a tailor come over and and make me a nice tuxedo. I never owned a tuxedo before. And so I got a tuxedo. I got my wife a really beautiful dress. And I said, we're going to wear these at the premiere. (laughs) And then once again, the world goes to shit. And it's just like, all right, well, let's get some Orville Redenbacher. And we'll just sit on the TV. <laughs> and I think that's what we're going to do. But what I found out is that there's a there's actually a drive-in movie theater here in California that's 30 minutes away that's going to show it at a drive-in. And I said, you know what? What better way to do it? Because I'm a blue-collar kid. I grew up in Pittsburgh. Instead of putting on the fancy duds, I'd rather do a Pee-wee's Big Adventure style. You're at the drive-in. You can walk past all your friends with your popcorn and thank them for coming. And then you pop open the hood of the car, you know, the back of the that's SUV. You just sit there and watch popcorn with the wife and it's going to be fucking great. I'm going to love I it. I think yeah. that's so great. I love that. Have someone film it. You should have someone film that. Yeah. My buddy's going to come and make like a little video for social media and, and oh, film the good. whole aesthetics and everything. So we got, we got a few cast members that are going to come by, but we were, we were supposed to premiere just for laughs in Montreal. And I was oh. so excited. I was like, this is going to be great. You know, finally the industry might, <laughs> might actually oh, take a meeting with me take... or something, but yeah, you haven't you know? done enough by making movies and directing and, yeah, killing on stage. And it's amazing. But you're still doing it. And I'm so proud of you. And I love you very much. I love you, Jess, so much. And you're one of those reasons I miss the comedy scene in New York City. Yeah. And when this all comes back, we got to blow it out of the cellar and just have a great night out and just catch up. Yes, we do. Absolutely. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Check out the opening act. It's It sounds incredible. And uh, I can't wait to see you. Thank you so much. I can't wait to see you. And best of the family, best of you and yours. And stay safe and be you well. You too. You All too, right. honey. Bye-bye. <laughs>